Today I'm going to talk about longing. And this is a poem about whatever that is. By TK. There is a difference between longing and desire. When desires are fat and sated, mind will simply make up more. While it seems that you eat the fulfillment of your desires, in fact, the wolf of desires eats you. Longing is a bird who lives on sunlight. Desires sated breed irritable boredoms, fretful cravings. No matter how much you get of that which you didn't really want, it will never be enough. And this spirals, spins, winds around the heart and darkened with ceaseless wantings. Longing is a thread, sewing whole cloth from the rags of pleasures and pains. Longing is a flower that leaps out from itself as perfume. Why? Because it longs for the bee? The sun longed for the flower. The flower longed for the bee. Perfume is a result of all this longing. And we all know that pollen and allergies is the result too, but that's another poem. The flavor of the orange's juice is the sun's longing ripened. The flavor of the orange's juice is the sun's longing ripened. Be wary of those who have no longing. The body is wholeness's expressive longing into appearing. A brightness born from joy a mother endures pregnancy, birthing pains, blood, exhaustion. The seed endures winter's freeze and spring's opening thaw. In both, longing becomes understood. The body longs to know wholeness. That longing is the secret form, the secret truth of every desire. When longing matures, it takes on a name. We could call it prayer. When it has blossomed, it takes on another name. We could call it love. It is in us and our longing that part and whole have the chance to meet. That meeting is the birth of unutterable joys. Let me put it simply. We are the organ of perception by which mystery knows itself. We are the eye, ear, tongue, fingers of One of the India's greatest yoginis, Niguma, she wrote this prayer. Treasured teacher, I pray to you, give me energy to let belief in self fall away. Give me energy to see through life's illusions. Give me energy to end reactive thinking. Give me energy to know mind has no beginning. Give me energy to let confusion subside on its own. 
Give me energy to know whatever arises is beyond words. So method will only take us so far in our practice. As Nanzen said to Joshu's sincerely longing heart, if you go toward it, you part from it. Method will only take us so far. As an aside, some people can learn more into method into mustering their will and making a more intense effort. That will only take us so far. We've wanted something forever. Since our first gasp and cry, we've wanted something. Maybe before that, Could we say we're made of thirst? We're made of longing? We appear. Actually, when did you appear? We appear, we long, and we disappear. From one angle, we all have the STD of birth which always ends in death. From another, we're desire's miracle, or like sunlight dancing on water. From another, we're beings made of longing and the desires that shape and have shaped us in response to that longing. Our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our environments are shaped and shape our longing. A face over decades becomes its most continual expression. We're beings made of longing and the desires that shape us in response to that longing. The Dharma, as I understand it, is not sure what it is we want. Yet neither are we. Are you sure you know what you want? And how do you know? People pay big bucks to other people for those people to tell them what they think they want. Dharma is not sure what it is we want. Dharma is not saying what you should want. Nor is it ultimately about stopping want. But it invites us into a fundamental nourishment. That's the faith, and that's what we hope to verify, and that verification feeds back into the faith. We make meaning of thirst. 
Thirst can make a sad, regretful person on a deathbed. We can make meaning of thirst. The Dharma is a way we can empower ourselves to do that. A monk in all earnestness asked. Many of the koans open in that kind of um, spirit. They omit lots of things in these records, but they didn't omit that. They didn't cut that out. Many of these practitioners had been at it for sometimes 20 or 30 years. And still there was that longing. Still though, there was that, that sincere thirst. Monk in all earnestness. Spiritual longing can easily be misdiagnosed. You have to be careful who you talk to because they might tell you that you're confused for being afflicted with it. In some ways, this path is a situation of it takes one to know one. And to know one, it takes one. Spiritual longing could have you as bereft as if you lost your only child. And as energized as if you just won the lottery, everything in between. I don't know whether everybody has spiritual longing or whether only some people have it. But what I'm curious about is what might be the junk food in my belly that's taking up its space? To let in the depth of our spiritual longing might mean to invite in tremendous demands. And you might sense that from the other side and the fear of those demands keeps us from letting in the depth of that longing. I'm going to share a poem from Rukka. Rukka. This is from the Eighth Elegy. With all its eyes, the natural world looks out into the open, with a capital O, big round O. With all its eyes, the natural world looks out into the open. Only our eyes are turned backward and surround plant, animal, child, like traps as they emerge into their freedom. We know what is really out there only from the animal's gaze. For we take the very young child and force it around so that it sees things, not the open, 
which is so deep in animals' faces, free from death. We only can see death. The free animal has its decline in back of it forever and God in front. And when it moves, it moves already in timelessness like a fountain. Never, not for a single day, do we have before us that pure space into which flowers endlessly open. But we do have it. Always there is world and never nowhere without the no. That pure, unseparated element which one breathes without desire and endlessly knows. A child may wander there for hours through the timeless stillness, may get lost in it and be shaken back, or someone dies and is it. For nearing death, one doesn't see death but stares beyond, perhaps with an animal's vast gaze. Lovers, if the beloved were not there, blocking the view, are close to it and marvel. Lovers, if the beloved were not there, blocking the view, are close to it and marvel, as if by some mistake it opens from them behind each other. But neither can move past the other, and it changes back into world. Forever turned towards objects, we see in them the mere reflection of the realm of freedom which we have dimmed. Or when some animal serenely looks us through and through. That is what fate means, to be opposite, to be opposite and nothing else forever. If the animal moving toward us so securely in a different direction had our kind of consciousness, it would wrench us around and drag us along its path. Sometimes I think cats are that kind of bodhisattva. They're willing to endure our human bullshit just to sit there and silently teach what it is they float in. It would wrench us around and drag us along its path, but it feels its life as boundless, unfathomable, and without regard to its own condition, pure like an outward gaze. And where we see the future, it sees all time and itself within all time, forever healed. We spectators, always, everywhere, turn toward the world of things, fills us, we arrange it, it breaks down, we rearrange it, and then we break down ourselves. Who has twisted us around like this? Who has twisted us around like this so that no matter what we do, we are in the posture of someone going away? Just as upon the farthest hill, which shows him his whole valley one last time, he turns, stops, lingers. So we live here, forever taking leave. So I'm interested in the ways that longing shows up. We can have a dis 
dissatisfaction with life, a feeling that this isn't right. And to not reject that feeling that this isn't right, but to actually take it as totally trustworthy. Something isn't right. And let that act on us fully. Let the gate into longing. The critic, many people, as they become more intimate with their practice, the critic comes up stronger. Listen for the longing in the critic. The critic doesn't criticize me about my scrambled eggs because I don't give a crap about my scrambled eggs and how good they are. But where I do have deep value, it leaps in right there. Recognize the longing in the critic. Sometimes it's something in our bodies, uh, a restlessness, a heartache. We don't need to name what the longing is for. And we don't need to name what will satiate it, but to marinate in the longing. Because so often that spills into ordinary desire and we do what we do with those things. So just connect with yourself in this, this nen. And sense if there's any desire present. One way desire articulates is going towards something, going away from something, or inverting inward and kind of going unconscious. Even to scratch an itch is evidence of desire. And it's great if you're looking now and there aren't any. That would be okay too. What's desired now? Do you desire something to go away? Do you desire something to pass? A feeling, a sensation, a situation in your life. Sometimes people desire for their own life to pass because that seems preferable to really inhabiting it. Do you desire something to come? Feel that. If so, what is it that you desire to come? Maybe you can't quite name it. Or there are words for what it might be, but you don't quite know what that word actually means. 
feel the desire for something to come. Desiring the beginning of something, desiring the end of something, desiring to get out of the whole mess altogether. And if you can find some words for what it is you want, and it's just a temporary, it's just a word, it's just a placeholder, try now turning it over in your mind like a mantra. I want, I want, fill in the blank. And as you turn it over in your mind like a mantra, feel what that's like in your body. Turn it over in your mind and say it like you mean it. Don't say, I kind of want. I kind of, sort of want to be awakened. I kind of, sort of think it might be okay to know my true nature. I want to know my true nature. It's even better to say it out loud. Buddhist teachings tend to go on and on about how longing will not be slated by ordinary relationship with things. It's almost redundant, but I need to hear the redundant, so I thought I might talk about that. Conditioned world, if you go left, right, forward, back, one job to another, one partner to another, one career to another, Always, it's just a different configuration of the eight worldly winds. That's what samsara means. It means wherever you go, there's just a new, which is actually the same, configuration of the eight worldly winds. Wherever you go, there's some things you will get and some things you will lose. These create each other. Because wherever you go, there are some things you get and some things you will lose. Or however you live, it's not about a place here. However you live, there's some things you will lose and some things you will gain. Then there's some things that will bring you pleasure and there's some things that will bring you pain. And these create each other. It's non-negotiable. Whatever we do, wherever we go, there are people who care that we exist and people who are completely indifferent to our life. Being known and being unknown create each other. Wherever we go, there's people who might think we're okay or pretty good or fill in the blank. And there's people who think that we're, we're pretty crummy, that we don't make the grade. There are people with shrines to Hitler and people with shrines to the Dalai Lama. So getting real about desire and longing, 
it, let's say, it may be authentic when we engage these truly knowing that we only can ever move from one template of the eight worldly winds to another. Wherever you go, you'll lose something and get something, experience some pleasure and some pain. People will like you and they won't. Someone will care you're there and some won't. And you can't do anything about that. Inhabiting our longing makes us vulnerable and raw. It's another reason it's not so common. When you inhabit your spiritual longing, you know that you can't go to Target and get a fix, despite the fine fashions and excellent pretzels. You know that, and that's going parallel with wanting it to hit the spot. That's a raw condition. Inhabiting spiritual longing means your heart has a break in it. And for a good while, you might be a pretty odd duck. Monasteries and sanghas are like big ponds that welcome all the odd ducks. You come to one of these kind of places, wherever it is, and you kindly feel like, okay, I'm not the only odd duck. My spell correct made it say monasteries and sangrias. <laughs> monasteries and sangrias are like ponds that welcome all the odd ducks. That's true, too. So how do we stay in touch with longing? If method only takes us so far, how do you stay in touch with longing? The traditional response is you close the escape hatches and you do your best to throw out the key. And that's like committing to do session. For this timeless time, you close the escape hatches and you throw out the key and you see what happens when you really inhabit your longing. Not so easy to close the escape hatches in the mind. The relationship with longing can change. We can go from avoiding it, not wanting to own it, to turning fully towards it and feeding it. And so we begin asking for help. That's like this, this prayer by Naguma. Let me read that again. Treasured teacher, I pray to you. Now don't get caught up on teacher and pray. Treasured teacher, I pray to you, give me energy to let belief in self fall away. Give me energy to see through life's illusions. 
give me energy to end reactive thinking. Give me energy to know mind has no beginning. Give me energy to let confusion subside on its own. Give me energy to know whatever arises is beyond words. That is, on my own, I can't get free of my rational mind. This whole fighting mind with mind thing is just not, it's not working. Connecting to a larger heart. I'm looking at all these things that I wrote and feeling like they're now um, dead words. I don't want to say so much of them. Let's see what Hongzhi has to say. This is called The Wonder Verified and Fulfilled. As you, as you hear this, let it permeate, see if it sparks any longing in you. See if something resonates as you hear these words. The Dharma realm in all directions arises from the one mind. When the one mind is stilled, all appearances are entirely exhausted. Which one is over there? Which one is myself? Only when you do not differentiate forms, only when you fully let go of discriminating this from that, if only for a moment, only when you do not differentiate forms, suddenly not a single dust is established, not a single recollection is produced. Just totally let go of the grip on the reference to the past and that subtle leaning towards the future. Time is this terrible prison that's made of nothing. Discern that even before the pregnant womb and after your skin bag, that is this thing you think we are normally, Discern that even before the pregnant womb and after your skin bag, each moment is astonishing radiance, full and round, without direction or corners. Trifles discarded. Where truly nothing can be obscured, where truly nothing can be obscured is called self-knowledge. Only thus knowing the self is called original realization not even a hair received undeservingly. There can be a lot of stuff on the level of the mind about, do I deserve this? Am I worthy of liberation? A sense of shame we might have been imprinted with, which is worth addressing on its own terms with the right medicine. But this is outside of all of those. 
concerns. Not even a hair received undeservingly. To know the depth of our nature has nothing to do with deserving it or not deserving it. Does a human being deserve or not deserve the sky, sun? Hongzhir continues, magnificent, subtly maintaining uniqueness, genuine hearing is without sound. Genuine sound is without hearing, just like this. Just like this. Just like that. So it is said that perceiving without eye or ear is where the wonder is verified and fulfilled. Perceiving without eye or ear is where the wonder is verified and fulfilled. Light streams forth from there and many thousands of images appear. Every being is actually it. It is essential only not to borrow from other people's homes. To cultivate our house, you must clearly and intimately experience it for yourself. And we can, and that is why we are here. So inhabit your longing and have deep confidence in that longing. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake.